0: Praise the Lord, man! It's so good to be here, and the the music. Who? Where are the music people here? Let me see? They gone already? They in the back? Man, that was awesome! I enjoyed that so much, so much. Praise God. Kathy and I just want to uh, just talk a little bit about some of the product that I brought with me. Just this time, I was just able to bring books with me, so I have all four of my books at the back there. Um, Knowing and Experiencing God, Um, a book that I really highly recommend for anybody um, uh, at at the Carus Bible College. That's the book I really recommend for the students to to get a hold of. And then my newest book, Guilt-Free Living. You know, I tell you, one of the things that a lot of Christians don't realize, and that is that guilt is not a Christian emotion, but a lot of a lot of churches and Christians believe that guilt is a Christian emotion. That means that, uh, and it's taught that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes you feel guilty when you do wrong. And that's the way God, God leads you. Uh, actually, the Bible calls guilt an evil. Evil. Hebrew says that God would deliver you from an evil, guilty conscience. And so, a, a, a guilty conscience. Now, I'm not talking about being a psychopath. You know, psychopaths have no conscience. So, I'm not saying that we should have no conscience of our actions hurting other people. But having a guilty conscience towards God as if you have somehow offended a holy God. That's not that's not Christian, and that's not what Jesus wants us to live with. So this is my news book, guilt free living, and then discover true love. This book is a book. It just amazes me how many people will write me and tell me about that little book, and it sets them free. I we have people who buy them by the dozens and give them away to people. We have. We have people who own like a bed and breakfast, and they, they, they put they, they put these books in every room for people to go because it's delivered so many people. And then this book is a book Kathy and I co-authored together, uh, and it's Grace and Faith Thoughts, and it's a nice little book that you can just. Uh, it's got you know chapters in there that's a page, two pages long, just a daily devotional. So you're welcome to go and have a look at that. Go also to our our website. Um, Kingdom Life Ministries. Dave Basson is Kingdom Light, <laughs> but we always get we always get it mixed up. We always get it mixed up, and um, and go to our website. the 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 easiest way to get to on our website is just ArthurManchess.com. And if you go on there, all of my teaching uh, is archived in there. You can listen to anything and everything I've ever taught. A lot of DVDs or or, or video on there. Anything else that I need to say? Not? Okay, good. Hallelujah. See, I've got to get the boss's approval. How many of you are ready for the Word this, this morning? Man, I'm excited to share this Word with you because it's the right time because it's right in the beginning of the New Year. Turn with me in your Bibles there to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I'm going to read there from verse 9 through to verse 11. I want to use this passage of Scripture really just to kind of uh, launch us into um, the the message this morning. Now, what I'm going to do this morning is uh, I've asked uh, Pastor Tefara if it's uh, okay for me to teach the first session and then continue in the second uh, service. Uh, And and both of the the messages will be complete messages, but the one will complement the other. Amen. So if there are, if some of you want to stay for the second service, you're welcome to do that, or they can go and listen to it online, right? Amen. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 9 through to verse 11, and I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version. That's, of course, the Bible that Paul used, and so the translation. Okay, verse 9. He says, What profit remains for the worker from his toil? Now, you know of course this is this is the writer here in Ecclesiastes um, writing about what he observes and this is what he says he he says what profit remains for the worker of his uh, of, from his toil so what he's doing is he's looking at at life he's looking at everyday life and this is what he says he's verse 10 he says i have seen the painful labor and exertion and miserable business which god has given to the sons of men with which to exercise and busy themselves now you know i think what he's doing here and and he's observing he's he's looking at everyday life and he sees that all of us to some degree go through life and we have to go through the tedious Everyday stuff that we have to do that seems to be frivolous. It seems to be out of context of what we're really about in life. But we have to get through life in order in order to get through the day, through the week, through the month, through the year. All of us have to go through these sometimes, uh, looks like worthless toils. And we think to ourselves, what has this got to do with what my life is all about? And I think that's what he's looking at here. But I, I, I like verse 11 he begins. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And I think the answer lies in that, that yes, all of us are going to go through life and there are some things that you have to do that becomes tedious, boring, looks like it has nothing to do with where your life and your heart and your vision and your dreams and your passions are, but you have to do these things in order to get through life. But the scripture, he says, God has made everything beautiful in your life through some of these things that you think are just things that I'm just doing by myself. I just I, it, I don't need to necessarily do this. When can I move on in life? Anybody ever feel like that? Now, the next thing he says, he has also planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. A divine implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. And that's what I want to I draw your attention to here. See, every man, every woman, every person has a divinely implanted sense of destiny and purpose. If Now, for many people, this has become a dull sense. The tedious things that we've done in life, that we are busy with in life, or the things that life has dealt us, the circumstances, situations that life has dealt us, For many people, it's kind of dulled, that sense. But if we would be honest with ourselves, we will know that each and every one of us in this room here today, you know deep in your heart that you have a sense of destiny. Now, you might not have pursued that much, but the truth is that we have this real sense of, of purpose. You know, the, we can get so busy with life that we forget that sense of purpose. And you know, for many Christians, and I feel that I need to share this. You know, uh, the, the first time I shared this message, um, uh, the, the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said to me, "You know, we we all we all believers, all Christians here, but not everybody here is called to the fivefold ministry. But for some reason, many Christians feel that." That unless you're called to the fivefold ministry, some some spiritual gifting that 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 that's destiny, that's purpose, and and the rest of us have just got to live life. Well, you know, hang on, let me just say this: your 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 destiny, your purpose, might be to be the mess the best mother you can be.
1: Yeah.
0: That that can be. Your destiny in life. You know, I take Kathy and myself. I'm, I've, I've, I've always been called to the ministry and, 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 and to the fivefold ministry and, and teaching. And But, you know, uh, when we first started in ministry 36, 37 years ago, uh, people would put pressure on Kathy because, well, you know, well, well what do you do in ministry? You know what do you do? What is your? And then Kathy would. They said, to her, oh, "Do you teach? Do you? When are you going to teach?" And Kathy says, "I'm not called to teach." Yeah. Well, I mean, how can you be in ministry and not teach, or preach, or do ladies' meetings? Yeah. Yeah. She hates it. <laughs> She'd rather have somebody else do it. But she ha- why? Because she's not called to it. Yeah. Now, it took a lot of years for her to get to the place and realize that her true calling is her family. It's like the Lord spoke to her one day. He said, I called Arthur to the ministry and I called you to support him. That's her her passion. You want to know my wife's passion? Bring the grandkids around. Now, you know, uh, 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 this is true. You know, you think about vocational calling. Some of you are called to be doctors. Some of you are called to be dentists. Some of you are called to be lawyers. Some of you have been called to to be an artisan. Because, you know, we don't think that God, that people can really relate to God if if He's a farmer. Think about that. You know, Martin Luther once said, when we pray the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day, our daily bread. Do you realize what that includes? What that includes is there has to be a man who is called to plant the seed in the ground and to tend the harvest and then to go and to reap that harvest and then transport that harvest To the silos. And then have a man who's called to the business of milling the corn into flour. And then the man who's got a passion for baking bread. Those are all vocational, those are all callings and purposes and destinies that God has given to each and every one of us. But you know, for Christians, somehow we only think about the fight, the spiritual thing about it. But you see, I want to tell you today that whatever it is that you have a passion for is a divinely implanted sense of destiny and purpose that God has put in your heart. You might be here and your your heart is to, is to raise. Raise children and look after kids. Yeah. I tell you what, I want to put a crown on your head. Yeah. I can't do that. They tell me to go and go look after the kids at the I run away. <laughs> Hallelujah. Some people are called to be in the law enforcement. What, whatever that is, is God's calling upon our lives, and we mustn't we mustn't look down upon that. And as Christians, don't think I have so many w- women over the years who've said to me, "Well, you know, I really want to do something for the Lord, but you know, I've got three kids and I've got to look after them." And hey, 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 who put the passion in your heart to look after those kids and go find go find the bargains for clothing? Who 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 put that in your heart? That's God. Don't think that you're any less. Because you can't do some spiritual gifting. Oh, come on now. Amen. See, He says, he's, uh, for me, it's, it's all of us. Now, you know, as much as I can talk about that, I want to I go where I feel the Lord wants me to go today. And that is that, um, how many of you realize that life has many twists and turns? All, we all, I can, I can go back to when I was a teenager. And I had a a sense of destiny. But you know, life sometimes has twists and turns. And sometimes what happens is that um, many things can go wrong. I mean, there are many things. There are people. There are events, circumstances that that can hinder the purposes of God in your life. That can sabotage. The the, the the destiny in your life um, that can even destroy that that purpose that you sense in your life, um, but for most Christians, most of us, when those kind of things happen, you know, natural disasters can come and can really put a spoke in the wheel, as as it were, in in the in the purposes of where you want to go. Um, you know, uh, the, econ- the economy, whatever it can be. And many times, as believers, I believe that most of the time, uh, believers, when these kind of things come, when other people trip you up, when circumstances, the government, the economy, whatever, comes and, and somehow sabotages the, the destinies of our lives, most Christians have the ability to trust that God is able to recover them. Right? I mean, when when, when things go wrong, accidents happen. Most Christians can stand up and say, you know what, God, I'm going to believe God to get me out of this and to restore my life. But let me ask you this question. What happens if we are the ones who have failed when we have hindered our own destinies and our own purposes. When, when, when we, through our own stupid... Anybody ever been stupid? One, two, three. <laughs> Amen. When we, through our own stupidities, through our own, own uh, misgivings, uh, uh, I could even say through our own sins have brought and sabotaged our own purposes and God's destiny for our lives. See, this is where I find that most Christians will say, well, I guess I deserve this. I guess that because, you know, there's an old saying that says, you made your bed, now you lay in it. And somehow I find that so many of us as believers, when we have, as it were, shot ourselves in the foot. And boy, I tell you so many I've done that so many times, right? When we've done that, that's usually where people struggle. So turn with me in your Bibles here. Brother, how long do I have to go? Oh, Till? Ten till ten. Oh, man, we've got lots of time. All right, go with me there to Psalm 103. Now, Psalm one hundred three is one of my uh, favorite passages of Scripture, and I want to kind of start here, and and hopefully we'll we'll get into the meat of this message. But I, you know, all of us, this this beginning of this new year, I want I want to call this message: God is a God of new beginnings. Yeah. The truth is. Today, everybody say this with me. Today is the first day of the rest of my life. Hallelujah. You know, the problem is, is that we get so caught up with what we did yesterday that we forget that today is the first day of the rest of my life. Oh, well, I'm just too old. I don't know if I... Listen, you're never too old. You're never too old. Now, listen to this. Now, David writes here. And, and, and who is David? You know, if there was anybody that could could have sat back and said, oh, well, I guess I deserve this, then David was the one. You know, most of the time, we, when, we, when people preach about David, we preach about the greatness of his faith, the greatness of his leadership, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when you look at David, I mean, talk about a guy that shot himself, not in one foot, but in, 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 in both his feet, several times. Right? And notice what he says. Now, what we don't realize is that Psalm 103 is David now writing after the consequences of his sin. After the consequences of seeing the result of his sin and, and, and really having to deal with the result of his sin. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 1. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Hallelujah. I love that. David doesn't say, and forget not, God's watching you and He's going to get you. Doesn't say that. He says, forget not all His benefits. So what David is saying is that as as we serve the Lord, there are benefits to serving God. Now notice what he again says. He says, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who re- now watch this, verse 3, who redeems thy life from destruction. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Who redeems, that word redeem means to restore to the original position. Who restores, now it says there, most of the time I used to read it, who who will restore the destruction. The original language says, who will restore your destruction. Meaning, the destruction you have brought on you. God says, He says, this is one of the benefits of serving God. Is that when you have brought destruction upon your own life, God, the benefit of serving God is that you can trust Him that He will restore your life back to its original position. Mm. Now, you know, religious people don't like this. Amen. But I don't know about you. And, and yet again, I tell people when I talk about this, I tell people, I, li- I need this. You know why? Because I am... As the Americans now, you know, in South Africa it's not good to say it's not good to say it like this. But in America you, you can say it like this. Is it okay if I say that I am good at screwing up my life? In America that's I mean that's that's fine, you know. Yeah, But then my you know. It's like <laughs> and in America you can just say, oh man, that's crap, you know, in church. Yeah, in South Africa, when I first went to America, and they said to us, man, I got cussed. You know, no, but see, but I, I was, I, I'm good at messing up my life. Now, now listen, there's some people, they're better at it than me. They're better at life than me. Hey, Amen. I mean, there's some people I know, man, they're just good at two shoes. But, you know, for me, I'm good at So I need this. He says, I will will restore and I will redeem thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Hallelujah. He crowns your life. David committed murder, committed adultery, uh, then lied about about everything, right? Right? He had a he had a triple death sentence on his life. Yeah. Death sentence for committing adultery, death sentence for committing murder and he pronounced as the king a death sentence over himself. When the prophet came to him and said to him, "There is this rich man and there is this poor man, and the poor man only had one little lamb, and the rich man had all the lambs he could possibly have." And the poor, the rich man took the poor man's lamb. And David got up in his self-righteousness and said, "That man has to die." The prophet says, "You and you demand." <laughs> man, hallelujah. So you think about that for a moment. This same David says, he says, but God crowns you with loving kindness and tender... You know, the the term, the, the mercy of God. You see, most people's idea of mercy is just that God forgives you for doing wrong. But the, 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 the term mercy in the Bible comes from and is derived from the mercy seat of God which was on top of the Ark of the Covenant between the wings of the cherubims where where the blood was sprinkled and where God treated and gave people better than they deserved. So He says, He says, I crown you with loving kindness and tender the ability, the power, the passion, the desire God to treat people better than they deserve. Yes, I deserve this. God says, but I want to treat you better than you deserve. Hallelujah. So, David is the guide here who lays this out. Boy, there's so much in this passage of scripture, but I want to move on here. But let me just put there. He says, He, he crowns thee with loving kindness, tennis, murder, who satisfies thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. You know, that again, He exec- executes righteousness and judgment. And most people look at that as, he, 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 will, he will sort you out. No, no, no. Executes righteousness and judgment. Judgment is a term of make, make a decision. God executes righteousness and makes decisions for those who can't make it for themselves. Who are weak. Who are burdened. Who are trodden down. Broken. God says, I will make sure and make decisions for you. Hallelujah. Amen. Man, I tell you something. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Slow to anger. Everybody say slow. Do you understand? Do we do we even understand what that slow means? We don't really, because you know in, in the book of Revelation, if you go to the book of Revelation, Jesus appears to John on the Isle of Patmos. And he says to John, he says, John, behold, look, I come quickly. Right? Is, is Jesus talking about his second coming? I believe he is. He's, he's talking. I'm coming back, and he says I'm coming back quickly. Okay, so when did he say this? Two thousand years ago he said this. So we can we can safely say that when Jesus says quickly, it's around two thousand years because he could come now. He could come, but it could be another another. Okay, so when when if quickly is two thousand years, how slow is slow then? How slow is slow? Yeah, people, are, oh well, my God is angry with me. You know, the, the the Lord used that to prove to me, and he, this is what He said to me: He said, Arthur, you cannot live long enough to anger me. Even if you could live for two thousand years without dying, that would only be quickly, and I am slow to anger. And guys, this is Old Testament. This is a a man who is in the Old Covenant. You know, there have always been men in the Old Covenant that have somehow reached into the, the, the truths of the New Covenant. And I believe this is what David is explaining here. Because he's explaining this out of his failures. And he's saying this. Why is this so important? Well, we've got to understand That the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals that the power of sin and iniquity to destroy your life is never greater than the power of God's love and grace to restore your life. I'm going to say this again because I don't think some some of you even heard what I just said. The New Testament, when we go to the New Testament, the New Testament gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the truth that the power of sin and iniquity to destroy you is never greater than the power of God's love and grace to restore you. Never in your life. Turn with me in your Bibles. Let's go there to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter five. Now you know again. Romans chapter five is a, a wonderful passage of scripture. Uh, in, in fact, these are all scriptures that should all be interpreted in context from chapter one. And so we don't have time to get into all of that. But we're going to go in, in, and, and I'm going to read again out of the Amplified version because the Amplified is just so, so beautiful in the way that it re- portrays this passage of scripture. Now, I want to show you here. Now, you know, most of the time that I hear people preach the gospel, uh, everybody say the gospel. Um, most of the time I hear people preach the gospel. We, we, ha- we have always been taught to preach the gospel in a sense of if, if, if on this side of the podium I say that, the, and, and, and let's say, what can I use here? Don't have to use any. You come, you come stand here. Adam. We call him Adam. Okay? You come over here, brother, and we call you Jesus. Okay? So, most of the time, the way people preach the good news gospel, and it's good news. It, uh, this is not bad news, but it's not the full good news. What we do is we say, over here, Adam fell and sinned. All right? In in Genesis. And he sinned and he fell and with his fall brought all of us under condemnation, guilt and sin. Right? Then what we do is we preach the gospel like this. We say, but when Jesus came Jesus, the last Adam first Adam, last Adam, Jesus comes and he through His finished work on the cross, restores what Adam broke. Right? It's way better. (laughs) See, that's how most people look, is that what Jesus did in the positive is equal to what Adam did in the negative. That's how most people look at it. Okay, sit down. Let me now. Let's go and have a look at what the, 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 uh, the uh, Paul writes here in Romans chapter five, and verse fifteen. We start there in verse fifteen. He says, um, "Oh man, should I?" Yes, I'm going to just have to go right there. But God's free gift. Now, when he talks about God's free gift, if you if you look at the the verses above that, well, you know what? Let's just go to the verses above that. It says, verse fourteen says, "Yet." Death held sway from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who did not themselves transgress a positive command as Adam did. Adam, now listen to this. Adam, everybody say Adam. Okay, this guy over here. All right. Adam was a type or a prefigure of the one who was to come. But the Amplified says, in reverse. You see that there? In reverse. So, he says, this Adam here was a prefigure of the last Adam, but Adam was in reverse to that one. Meaning, so what Adam did, fell here, Jesus did come and reverse that. Are you you understanding what I'm saying? He says, in reverse. (laughs) Amen, you got that? The former destructive, the latter saving. The former was destructive, the latter was saving. Are you guys with me here? Alright, now verse 15. But God's free gift. Now what was the free gift of God? Jesus. The one one who was to come. He says, "But, but God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass. Oh, okay, so what he's saying here is that when we look at Jesus and what Jesus did, we we are not to compare what Jesus did with what Adam did. Are you with me here? Amen? Oh, man, I tell you, this is is powerful if you can get. He says, His grace is out of proportion to the fall of man. Oh, hallelujah. So Jesus' work and what he's coming and his work is not to be compared with the fall of man, because the grace of God revealed in Christ is—it says out of proportion. You know, uh, has, has any of you ever been here to Little Falls, the little, little waterfall? Uh, l- let's say if you've been to Little Falls, if you haven't been to Little Falls, I mean it's a, it's a, I mean it's you know when the rain comes, it can be quite a, quite a falls, right? Let's let's compare that as Adam's fall. Okay. But you know if you go to the the Victoria Falls, and you take Little Falls, and you take it to Victoria Falls. Do you understand that Victoria Falls is out of proportion to little falls? So what he's saying is what Jesus what Adam did over here, the falls of Adam, is not to be compared to the gushing grace of God that is out of proportion to what Adam did. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Verse verse sixteen nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect of that one man's. Come on now. How many of you understand there was an effect of Adam's fall. It affected all of humanity and the world, right? But he says that we should not even compare the effect of this man's fall to the effect of this man's victory. Oh, hallelujah, let me, <laughs> nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect of the one man's sin, for the sentence following the trespass of the one man brought condemnation, whereas the free gift following, following, listen, many transgressions brings justification and an act of righteousness. You know, so many of us as Christians, we still live as if the sin we commit is bigger than the sacrifice of Christ. The mistakes we make is bigger than the sacrifice of Christ. You see, when we look at this, verse 17 says, for if because of one man's trespass, his lapse, his offense, death reigns through that one, much more surely will those who receive. Now you see, uh, we've got to understand that, that Christ came and did what He did. And when He did that on the cross, He did it for all men. There's not a man excluded from the finished work of Christ. But He says here, each and every one of us must, must accept this truth. We must accept this. We can live in this life and never partake of this gushing grace that overcomes everything in our life, but we need to accept it. That's why we need to preach this message. That's why we need to tell people about Jesus. Amen? So that people can get you. It is yours, whether you know it or not. You can live your whole life and die one day and and never have heard or known about this, but it was yours anyway. Are you with me here? And notice, he says, he says that death reigned through that one. Much more surely will will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them in right standing with Himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He says, "Well then, as one man's trespass, one man's false step and falling." Uh, uh, fa- uh, failing, uh, falling away led to condemnation for all men. One man's failure led to the condemnation of all men. Listen to this now. So one man's act of righteousness leads to the equital and right standing with God and life for all men. Whew. Hallelujah. For just by one man, one man's disobedience, failing to hear, heedlessness, carelessness, the many were constituted sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be constituted righteous, made acceptable to God, brought into right standing with himself. Now, if if you're a good scholar and you go and study the term, the many, it refers to the all. Do you realize that what Jesus did on that cross is set every human being in right standing with God? But not every human being knows that. And not every human being is going to accept that. But the truth is, the good news that we can tell the sinners out there is, hey, do you know that God sees you as righteous? Your sins are forgiven. That's the good news. Now verse 20, this is the one I want to get to. This is Paul's declaration. And he says, but but then law came in only to expand and increase the trespass, making it more apparent and an and, and exciting uh, opposition. But where sin increased and abounded, grace, God's unmerited favor, has surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded. Oh, hallelujah! You know, this truth is so apparent in Paul's life. Now, if you, if you go there to acts chapter i've got like six minutes left here so i'm not going to go read all of this but if you go to acts chapter 9 and verse 1 through to verse, uh, verse 9 uh you you find the story of, of, of paul on the road to Damascus and and the and, and the story there is, is really I, i'll quickly just read some of these passages out of the 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 old living Bible Anybody remember the old paraphrase, the Living Bible? It was one of the first paraphrases that ever came out. I still like it because it really puts things in simple English. It says, but Paul, uh, at that time he was Saul, Saul, threatening with every breath and eager to destroy every Christian, went to the high priest in Jerusalem. So now here's here's Saul. Saul is a religious zealot. and, And he... Is is very much of what we see in the world today with religious zealots. And that is that if God is not gonna bring judgment and justice upon people, then we'll help him out. Amen. We'll help him out. Because because the truth is, brother and sister, and this is a truth for all of us to remember, and that is you will become like the God you serve. You serve an angry, judgmental, harsh God. You will become a judgmental, harsh Christian. And so, and so Paul here, Saul, he, he comes from this religious zealot of, of law and justice and an angry God. And he was the one who stood by when they stoned Stephen and everybody brought their coats and they the the overcoats and put it put it by his feet and he kind of presided over the death of stephen as as if we're going to take care of you buddy we're going to stone you and kill you because you're 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 an, a reprobate right and so now he goes to the council uh, the high priest in jerusalem and he goes and gets permission to not only do that in Jerusalem, but to go now and to go to Damascus and whatever Christians he finds there, to destroy them, and if need be, bring them in chains back to Jerusalem to be stoned. And he's on his war path for God. (laughs) He said, verse 2, he requested a letter addressed to the synagogues in Damascus requiring their cooperation in the persecution of the believers. Now, let me just say this. Didn't Jesus say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it"? right? So, so we know that the church, believers, because the church is not a building, it's believers. This is the church. The church as believers uh, is God's institution. It is God's will, amen. Now Saul is going, and he is coming against God's will. He's coming against God's institution and the, and and the church that Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Do you, what does that make Saul? Okay, if you're going to come, if you're going to come against. Uh, Pastor Defarer's will and intention and purpose and you come against to destroy that, what does it make me? An enemy. He's an enemy of God. Even though he thinks he's doing God's work. He's an enemy of God. And notice what happens. It says, and as he was nearing Damascus on on this mission. What mission? To destroy God's institution. It says, suddenly a brilliant light from heaven spotted down about him. He fell to the ground and a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, can you can you put yourself in Saul's shoes? Your understanding, your understanding of God is that if you come against God, God's going to take you out. And if God doesn't do it, He'll send Saul to do it for him. That's his understanding, right? So now he's on the road to Damascus. A light shines from heaven, knocks him down. A voice says to him, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? I put myself in Saul's shoes. I see Saul, Saul laying on the floor saying, Oops, I'm in big trouble now. See, because he understands, according to the law, ignorance is no excuse. He can't say, well, I didn't know. It's, it's too late. I'm sure he's laying there thinking to himself, I am only going to be a little wet spot here. Because God is just going to kill me right here now. He's just going to fry me. He most probably said to his friends, guys, when you get home, my mother and my father, I say, I love them. You know, he's already greeting his family, right? But what happens? He comes face to face with the grace of God to restore him. And the Lord says, get up! But Well, first he says, who's speaking? He says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And so he says, now I want you to go and get up now. Go into the city. Go into the city. Wait my further instruction. Now you and I now, we live on this side of the cross. We know that that Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And so what, what I see here is that that God's grace took a man who was his enemy. And when Saul... Saul never recovered from this incident. And that's why when he writes in Romans, he says, When sin increases, thank God, his grace superabounds. See, on the road to Damascus, sin was increasing. And Paul's experience was that where sin was increasing, God's grace was superabounding. I like. I like what the the, uh, the J.B. Phillips says. Yet though sin is shown to be wide and deep, thank God His grace is wider and deeper still. Listen, I want to tell you today that you might look at your life and you might look at where you've come and you might look at all the failures of last year or the years before that and you might... You might say, I don't know if I'm ever going to fulfill my destiny or my calling or my desires or the dream. Anybody here have dreams for your life? I, am I ever going to get there? I want to tell you, listen, where sin has increased, God's grace, you might look and say, man, this runs deep. This 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 issue I have runs deep within my family. It runs deep within my culture. It it runs deep within my society. Uh but His grace runs deeper still to restore your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I hope this is an encouraging word for you today. Praise God. It encourages me. Father, we just thank you. We just honor you. We just praise you. We we, we are just so overwhelmed with the depths of your grace, your loving kindness, your mercy. Father, thank you that in the beginning of this year, 2018, we can stand together, brothers and sisters together, and thank you that we have a future. We have a destiny. We have a purpose. And Father, you are the one who will make sure that the purposes of our lives which you have implanted in men's hearts and minds will be fulfilled father thank you that nothing we've done will be able to destroy what you're capable of doing in and through our lives father we look forward in this year to seeing more of our dreams come to pass more of our purposes fulfilled and our destinies accomplished in jesus name
1: amen amen amen, amen. Hallelujah, pastor praise the lord man that was awesome thank come you. on you can do better than that let's give jesus the praise thank you lord thank you jesus man wasn't that good someone came to me uh, a few months ago and they said, you know, pastor I, I used to go to a church where it was works, works, works and 90 times, 90% of the times we were singing or doing anything, it was fighting the enemy and never catching the full revelation of the goodness of God and how his grace is super goes beyond your faults and the law and this is refreshing amen amen well we love you and god bless you and remember we're going to be meeting tonight uh, for prayer at 5 p.m look at your neighbor and tell them five and not six okay we're going to be meeting earlier uh than normal because uh we need to fix the venue for tomorrow have another event coming up but we love you and god bless you if you're visiting us for the first time be sure to grab a cappuccino next door and uh, we want to just have a chat with you and welcome you we love you god bless you and remember these words from second corinthians 5 verse 7 for we walk by faith and not by sight we love you god bless you greet three or thirty people tell them you love them